it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Oh, yeah. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Uh, man, a significant day to be here, too. Uh, uh, everything that we have on tap. This hour is going to be fantastic. Uh, Barton Swim will be with us, editorial writer uh, with the Wall Street Journal. He talked about the rise of anti-Semitism in this country, where it came from, and, and how it's going to affect this election. Also, Senator Lindsey Graham, who will close out this hour. With me in studio, Patrick Murphy, the 32nd Undersecretary of the Army, Iraq War vet himself, former Democratic congressman uh, from Pennsylvania. So we'll, we have a lot to discuss, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Future attorneys general will be able to use the information that we have obtained in our investigation to hold these people accountable for the crimes that they've committed. So we did we did everything by the book. And that is James Comer uh, explaining the Hunter Biden investigation. He is in hot water in Los Angeles a day after a stunt in D.C. I have news for the president's son. The worst is yet to come. Number two. Temperatures are dropping. Um, you know, my my Florida blood is, is adapting. I got more reinforcements with layers of clothes on the way. I understand it's going to be minus four, but if I can get my Florida butt back up here, everyone can get back up here. <laughs> uh, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump Jr. going at it with 90 hours left until we get a verdict on the Iowa caucuses. Yes, the weather will not cooperate. It drops below zero. The latest poll proves... Concerning for DeSantis, if true, reassuring for Trump, buckle up as world events, court cases, polls and primaries are positioned to occupy your life. Number one. Well, this is the most comprehensive attack that we've conducted, uh, you know, since the war in Gaza uh, began. It really quite significant in terms of what they went after. That is uh, General Jack Keane, and he does not say that lightly. He says it factually. Middle East on fire, and we finally fire back at the Houthi rebels, the details, and the blowback from Democrats. Yes, Democrats and protesters express outrage at the White House in America, not with us. Unbelievable. They are actually protesting for Yemen and Gaza. Uh, Congressman Patrick Murphy, great to see you again. Good to you, Brian. Thanks are you on our number today? I am. Yep. Fortuitous for them with the military background we're going through. Yeah. Uh, first off, uh, your reaction. General Jack Keane says pretty significant, uh, over 60. Uh, the the word is, uh, I guess, the best, uh, 100 precision guided munitions, various types. These strikes were comprised of coalition air and maritime strike forces beyond the U.K., you have just informed me. And we're looking at 60 targets at 16 Iranian-backed Houthi militant locations. That's right. We have U.S., U.K., Australia, Canada. Netherlands and Bahrain, all of them saying they are part of this offensive thing against the Houthi rebels, which is long overdue, which we've been warning the Houthi rebels, knock it off. And you know what it is, Brian? You play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. And that was a message last night from our allies, our freedom-loving allies to say, enough is enough. I get it. They were hitting commercial shipping lanes. They were hitting, you know, soft targets, what we call, right? But this is what happens. This is how it hurts the American people. And this is why the American people should give a healthy 
should care about. I won't say a bad word on, on your radio show. Shipping, the cost of shipping, again, 15% of the world's trade goes through the Red Sea. They actually say 20% of the global shipping has been affected by these attacks. Right, right. And so you're talking about 173 increase price increase in shipping costs for American businesses and businesses across the globe. So, again, it's in their pocket. We kept saying, knock it off, knock it off, knock it off, and they wouldn't. So it was over 100 Tomahawk missiles, and as you mentioned, precision-guided missiles, striking over 60 targets, sending a message, we're not going to look the other way anymore. There's a new sheriff in town. Now, uh, we know this on Tuesday, after we warned them not to, they sent out 18 one-way attack drones. We blew them up. Two cruise missiles, we stopped them. One ballistic missile, we finally had to act within 48 hours later. Now, Congressman, with what you know of the military firsthand on the ground and from the Pentagon perspective— what has to happen next? Because the Houthi rebels promise to react. I'm sure they'll do something. What do you need? Is there is this a one-off, or is there a plan written or written out in just a a, a flow chart of what to do next? Yeah, there, I think this is a one-off. This is clearly a message saying we're not going to look the other do we way. We have anymore. a plan if it if they hit us back. Hard. I, I think yeah, I think there is definitely a plan, and that's why we're there. I do think there's two goals in this, though, Brian. I, I'll say very clearly. One, it is to make sure that our focus has to still be on China. And the and we have to continue what's going on, and, and because what we don't want to see is Israel and Hamas go over the borders. It's already expanding. We know that there was engagements this past week in the border with uh, Lebanon uh, and Hezbollah. Eleven uh, attacks last yep. night from Hezbollah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like that, that's what you're seeing. You're looking at three navy helicopters took you know took out three boats um, this past week as well. Uh, so you're seeing that, but we're sending a message like, hey, we're not taking our eye off the ball here. You got to knock it off. At the and, same, and the reason why that matters is that Taiwan election is taking place. Right. And one tomorrow, party for one, Saturday tomorrow. Yeah. One party it made it clear we want no part of China. The other one uh, has made it clear. You know, we'll do. We want our independence, but we want a better relationship with China. And we China says basically, don't make the wrong choice. Right. And China's also done a, a slew of cyber attacks on the on the Taiwan people on the Taiwan election system. To try and discredit the elections in, in Taiwan uh, that happened tomorrow, as you know. Well, I did not know a series of cyber attacks. I did not. Oh know yeah, that. yeah, no, there, there's because, no joke. Yeah, because right now the party that China wants to win is losing, right? And all the polling, right? So we have to be ready to act to back uh, Taiwan or give them the weapons they already paid for in a timely manner. They wrote the check. We did not have it to deliver. Our infrastructure was not there. Right, and that's why. The, the best thing we could do is make sure we increase the defense industrial base in America to support our freedom-loving allies across the world. And again, because we're the reluctant warrior, because we don't want to see fights, because we don't want to see China invade Taiwan, those are the reasons why. Not because we want to have World War III on our hands. It's because this is the only thing that will send the message that people are trying to break the law, break international norms, right. and, and hurt innocent, freedom-loving people. So I want to bring you to the bigger story. You were in the higher-up chambers of the Pentagon. What's happened over the last two weeks, politics aside, uh, absolutely inexcusable and really has me worried. Tulsi Gabbard responded last night after the attacks, you know, 20 years in the military and uh, uh, years in about three or four terms in Congress, cut five. What they are doing here now appears to be not well thought out at all or considering what the ramifications of this will be and how it serves our national security interests just like they didn't think through what the ramifications would be of taking the Houthis off of the terrorist list a few years ago, just like they didn't consider the ramifications of giving Iran over $6 billion 
much of which is going not to the well-being and humanitarian interests of the Iranian people, as they, they were promised, but to fund these terrorist groups like the Houthis to do exactly what they are doing, threatening global commerce and peace. We have a secretary of defense who was hospitalized for five days and the White House uh, leaders in the Pentagon, the National Security Council, the president himself had no idea. It's hard to convey this frustration, both as an American, but also as a soldier. I mean, he's still in the hospital. He never empowered his deputy, never informed his chief of staff. How do you become a four star general and act so irresponsibly? Well, this is my heart. I'm glad he's doing better. As you know, listen, he has prostate cancer. He's a proud man. He's, he's not a career politician, but I'm not making excuses. He said himself, he has to do a better job. Better I, job? I, anyway, well, I mean, just say, tell your deputy I'm going to be indisposed. Right. You don't want to tell the type of cancer. You don't want to tell the reason I'm going to be, I'm going through a procedure in the hospital. But, okay. Well, that's that, but Brian, that's what happened. He got in and out on the on the surgery with the prostate cancer. The problem is, is that he had complications from that. He went home and then he on a, he went on on a Friday, had the operation, was in and out of Walter Reed, then went home and then had to go back in on a Monday because he had a an, in an ambulance. Yeah, in ambulance, he had a urinary tract infection that that spread and it was incredible discomfort. Still in the hospital. Now, yeah, still in the hospital, and he's and he's, so he doesn't have a wife or somebody to say uh, call the Pentagon. By no, I know his wife Charlie. Listen, she's an Auburn graduate. The, I, I'm not making excuses. I'm saying, but no one is in charge of the Pentagon. I'm not worried about him. Right. You know, even if Pete Buttigieg is out as transportation, I worry in case of a storm or things like that. But I worry there's individuals there, and people need to know. Yeah, Why would and, he not tell the president, his deputy, his chief of staff, without yeah. disclosing the reason? Yeah, and, and listen, I, as a comedy of errors, the, the chief of staff had the flu. The, the depth def was on vacation in Puerto Rico. I. I Brian, all I, gettable, I, right? And, and again, you have to write them. No, no, I'm not. Listen, what I'm saying, and at least uh, now there's policies in place saying this will never happen again, et cetera. But still, <laughs> I hear you. But can I just make sure that we just focus on what we're talking about here when we talk about the Houthi attack last night? Because I, I want to. Well, do you think he called it? Yeah, he, he made a he's statement. Out there. Yeah, he is from the hospital. He, from Walter Reed, yes, in a secure room and a secure setting. Um, okay. And so, what I, on this operation, what's called Prosperity Garden? You know, we shot down. 80 Houthi drones. We Our U.S. Navy helicopters just took out three Houthi boats at late December, just a couple of weeks ago. So, again, this was the buildup. We were warning them this is the buildup. I do want to make sure that we recognize the fact that, you know, we have to make sure that when there's this struggle between Shia and Sunni, still this power struggle in the Middle East, you have Saudi Arabia. Because what, what Americans need to understand, there is like this global transformation of power. And it's all about oil and it's all about geopolitics. The number three superpowers when it comes to energy in the world is the U.S., Saudi Arabia, and Russia. And because the U.S. is the number one producer of oil and natural gas, that has given Russia and others the heebie-jeebies. They're saying – and so that's why you're seeing these attacks. And, and the Houthis, they got weapons from North Korea. So it goes back to, all right, who's going against America right now? Yes, it's Houthis. We, we just hit them. These dramatic strikes, over 100 missiles. But it all goes back to Brian Cringe, the demonic cringe. China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, and global extremists. And that's why we have to play chess, not checkers here. That's why we have to say this is a one-off attack. Now, a massive attack, but this is a one-off attack. This is why it's important strategically. This is why the American taxpayers, our families, should care about this because shipping prices are up, because they're hitting American ships, because Iran, 
not the Houthis, Iran just seized um, a, a tanker, an oil tanker yesterday. From off the coast of Oman yes. that we took because they violated sanctions. Right. So so my point to you is is that we have to play chestnut checkers. My other point is this. Congress has to get in the game, brother. Congress can't outsource this to the White House. Now, again, we have a U.S. Constitution. You either believe in it or you don't. And, and we have... Under Article 1, it's Congress. So I support what Senator Mike Lee and others are saying and Ro Khanna saying Congress has to get skin in the game here too. Congress can't just say they agree with it or not agree with it, et cetera. They have right. to say we are in support of this or we're not in support of this. They have to act on it because under the War Powers Act, even again, it's a temporary permission for the president to act like he just did last night. But Congress has to say we're in this. This is an act of war against the Houthi rebels. We can't look have Congress say, I mean, I, I get it. They're going to shut down. They can't even pass a budget. But right. they got to get their asses in the game as well. The Gang of Eight were notified. Yeah, 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 no. So but, the Gang but of Brian, Eight were notified. But, Brian, this is my, as a former constitutional law professor at West Point, I agree with what Mike Lee's doing. You can't say notice does not equal consent. And you need Congress consent on this. Only Congress really? declare war. Under Article 1, yes. And, again, I'm not – listen, I am not some procedural geek like the – manager in an office space saying, I want a TPS report. This is an act of war. This is American men and women that wear the cloth of our country, that if their skin's in the game, Congress has to have their skin in the game as well. So you know, so if there's an attack uh, and they spy an attack, if there's time to brief, you should brief. And what if Ro Khanna goes, yeah, I don't think you should hit him? No. What if Mike Lee goes, I don't, I don't think we should hit him? They have 60 days on the War Powers Act. And again, War Powers 16? Act. 60. I'm sorry, 60, like two months to act. So this is, listen, the president has. But you can't wait 60 days to hit the. Hoopers. No, 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 no. 60 days to, oh, retroactively. No, no. The president has basically, under the War Powers Act, the president can go and act and, and, and defend American interests, et cetera. And that's what we just did. And we've been doing it. Oh, so you have 60 days to, to decide. Pause, right. But, but that's why Congress, again, do I think Congress is going to do it? No. Congress, if you want anything hard done, you we don't go, go through, through Congress, it. right? But this is the problem. Whether it's. Donald Trump or Joe Biden or even Barack Obama, you can't just keep deferring to the president to set American assets and do acts of war against other nations or, in this case, Houthi rebels, which are supported by Hezbollah, which is supported by Iran, and just have Congress say, yeah, the Constitution, our founding fathers said, Article 1, only Congress can declare war, but we're going to look the other way. And because we agree with it, we're just going to let it keep happening. Few more minutes with uh, Patrick Murphy. Next, he's going to be outnumbered the, uh, at noon today, Eastern Time, Fox News Channel. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, last night was a great night for us. I think that uh, Nikki Haley was clearly flustered and rattled because she's uncomfortable being confronted with a record. I'm proud of my record in Florida, of beating the left, of delivering on my promises, and I'm proud of the vision we have for this country. So when that debate ended, we had people going to rondesantis.com, uh, signing up to help. More people been going to the website to donate. So that's, that's a great sign for us. But here's the thing, Sean, you're exactly right. So that was Ron DeSantis on with Sean Hannity. 
Uh, and last night, he felt good about his one-on-one debate. Congressman uh, Patrick Murphy here, not only that, not only is he a former congressman, the 32nd Undersecretary of the Army, an Iraqi war vet, he's a veteran, too, the only veteran running. So he in a, can't be happy, although I thought he did fine in the debate. The last poll, Suffolk University poll, came out January 6th to 10th. Only 500 likely Republican caucus goers in Iowa. 54% for Trump, 20% for Haley, 13% for DeSantis. Yeah. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I was just saying off off the area. I think that Nikki Haley beats him by five points, and those five, at least by five points. And then that poll says seven points. Uh, she's quadruple her support in Iowa, and Ron DeSantis has put all his eggs in Iowa. So if he doesn't win, if he if he comes in a distant third, uh, I don't think he actually makes it to New Hampshire. I think he's going to suspend his campaign. And Brian, this is why it's consequential. By the way, I'm against what. They did in in Colorado what they did in Maine. You can't have an unelected bureaucrat in Maine kick off a major party candidate in Donald Trump this case because of you know, obviously Section Three, uh, the Fourteenth Amendment. But who comes in second could really come into play. We're six months from the RNC convention in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So if something goes south for President Trump, who's going to win by over thirty points? He's going to win Iowa. He's going to win New Hampshire. He's going to win. If we two. believe it, but right. I, I, I'm not I, say, I, I'm, I sometimes I, fall prey to believing the polls are facts. Right, but I, I guess I know polls are important. I know about the snowstorm, all that stuff. But I, I think if you ask me, as someone who's studied politics, has been in knee deep, who's run campaigns, I think Donald Trump wins by over thirty points in Iowa. I think Nikki Haley beats. DeSantis for number two by at least five points. And what does it mean for New Hampshire? And I think that means that she's even stronger in New Hampshire. She has the wind at her back, and she'll be a strong second in New Hampshire, too. Do you believe there's a movement underway to get Democrats to vote in that Republican primary? No, I I, I don't think so. I, I mean, there will be some here and there, but at the end of the day, people are locked in. In New Hampshire, you can. It's an open primary. Most states aren't. Like in Do you Pennsylvania. believe that's a five-point race? Your gut tell you, your sources tell you it's a five-point race, seven-point race, as one poll had it? In New Hampshire, no. I, th- I think I think Donald Trump still wins by double digits, no doubt. Even in- New Hampshire, where, where I think she's the strongest. But then it opens up, I think. Then he, and then in the southern states, when you, when you look at after that, Nevada. North Carolina, South Carolina. South, I'm sorry, South Carolina. You look at Alabama, you know, going into that Super Tuesday, uh, I think Donald Trump will, will clean house in the Republican primary. It's pretty amazing. Uh, if you told us that a year that right after the midterms that this would be the story, everyone would be out except two other people, really. Vivek is not doing anything. Um, and then it will be just Donald Trump running away, gaining momentum. Unbelievable. Congress Murphy, we're, we're going to watch you at noon. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, please. You're going to yeah. wear a tie? I'm not going to wear a tie unless they make make me. I didn't even bring one up from Bucks County, Pennsylvania today, so. The more you listen... The more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. That's just some of the sound of, the, of these vicious protests that are taking place in may, many major cities. I would argue D.C. and New York, the, the greatest number 
and it's happening again. It happened last night. Houthi rebels got attacked, finally got a little of what they deserve. They deserve a lot more. Uh, multiple sites, 100 tomahawks, 60 different sites, I should say. And we'll see if those uh, Iranian-backed rebels do anything. And there are Houthi rebels located in Yemen. And there were chants yesterday. If we have chants from last night, too, uh, Josh. Let's, uh, let's, let's play those uh, chants from last night. Let's listen. So a time in which you usually rally to America's side when we attack back after being targeted, it's not happening. And how do you make sense of this? Barton Swim uh, thinks the same thing. He's an editorial page writer for the Wall Street Journal and wrote about this, the anger, where it came from, and how anti-racism became anti-Semitism. Barton, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks a lot, Brian. Thanks for having me. What are your thoughts as you hear those protests last night, hours ago, right in Times Square in New York City and in front of the White House? What do I think? Well, this has been a long time in the making, uh, as you as you know. Um, I read it as as um, you know the 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 left uh, over the course of decades since the since the Great Society has has um, has been in the business of uh, making. I think making excuses for why they have failed at uh, creating uh, racial parity, racial equality. This, this is their this is their main this is the left's main goal, and they totally failed at it. Uh, so what do they do? I think over time they've gotten very used to uh, blaming others uh, and blaming uh, uh, blaming people in racial terms. Um, maybe, you know, I think about 10 years ago, you started to really see uh, certain uh, opinion writers, editorialists, uh, commentators talk about white people as though, you know, they were diseased or sick or something. And that's all fine. You know, uh, you know, it's edgy and, and, and cool because, you know, you're just blaming white people. who White supremacy, uh, white privilege. Yeah, all that. Yeah. Um, but it's dangerous, man, and um, and I don't think uh, I don't think that they appreciated how dangerous it was to um, you know to throw around racial terms like that and to demean people because of their race, uh, even if they didn't mean it. You know, the, the the white liberals throwing around the term white, they didn't really mean it. Um, but that's dangerous, and I th- I think that um, they got so used to. Uh, blaming people in racial terms that it's easy to also transfer that to other races like the Jews. Um, and that's that's part of what we're seeing going on. And it's something that's not new, too. Like in the world, you know, you talk about the turn of the century. There was some forgeries that said the Jews had a secret plan to take over the world that allowed them, other people to justify them trying to eliminate them. In the genocide of, the, of, of uh, Hitler, we know. Many people think that Israel just became targeted when they became a country. You point out they were targeted prior for this anti-Semitism angle, but we're supposed to be a melting pot. But we didn't expect right. this to happen at this number here, and it's not going away. They say it's pro-Palestinians and, dare I say, pro-Hamas, but it's, it is anti-Semitism, and it is getting dangerous. Absolutely it is. Uh, you know, I, I, liken, I liken this this kind of stuff, this kind of racializing of uh, political rhetoric, uh, like like uh, it's 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 like a 
a magic uh, or or a, or a form of uh, you know incantation. You don't know what you're messing with, man, when you do that stuff. Uh, it, it's fine for you know the whale healed. Uh, uh, you know, New York-based journalists uh, uh, to to uh, to speak in these terms because they, you know, they're going to keep it in check. But you give that to these to some, uh, you know, some young young people on on college campuses uh, who, um, you know, they're going to they're going to be reckless with it, and that's that's what we're seeing. Um, they they don't. Okay, let me put it this way. Um, I said uh, a lot of these white white liberals, white progressives, talking about white supremacy and all the rest, they didn't really mean it. But uh, the the younger ones coming along, oh, they mean it, um, and they're, they're quite happy to uh, blame people in terms of race. Uh, so, uh, so what we're seeing is pretty dangerous, I would say. Barton Swaim, uh, uh, Swaim, our guest uh, with the Wall Street Journal. So, Barton, you're seeing people who are fervent and they've been very anti-American. Uh, they sprung up. They were organized. They're still shutting down bridges and tunnels in major cities. They're not going away. And I was just at an event last night, very patriotic people, and they're mm-hmm. real concerned. Like, what is going to change? How do we change this? Have you thought about that? <laughs> you know, um, I was uh, – I interviewed this, the playwright David Mamet a couple of years ago, and he said something that stuck with me. He said, uh, you know, people don't change, but they do die. Uh, and I, I think what he meant by that was, uh, <laughs> you, you, you know, uh, a new generation comes along and, and is smart enough to look at the way things are done and say, you know, that's stupid. We're not doing that anymore. Um, and so I think a lot of the people who, um, uh, you know, for all our complaints about young people, there are a lot of young people who I meet all the time who uh, – who look at this stuff and they think it's insane. Uh, it's interesting to me um, that a lot of the campus, uh, a lot of the campus radicals are like grad students. Uh, a professor at Harvard recently told me that the worst students at Harvard are the grad students and the faculty. The undergraduates are fine. They're not into this stuff. They're smart. Uh, they just want to do their job and move on. Uh, so I have some hope that, um, that people are going to get sick of this. You know, Americans are smart. They they do dumb things sometimes, mm-hmm. but they don't do them forever. I just want to bring you to 2024, the caucus now, three days away. You wrote a story about Trump uh, brings up the passion in Iowa, uh, just mm-hmm. how a lot of the attacks on him has just ignited and expanded his support. Why do you think that that's the combination that works for Donald Trump? The more you attack, the more people dig in instead of run from him. Yeah, it's um I talked to a lot of people who they I think their logic is that um you know they look at they look at this situation and they think you know why is the left so insanely determined to destroy this man not just to defeat him electorally or even to you know sort of defame him they want to destroy him personally and in every other way they look at that and they say now why is that uh, they think that it's because uh, he's the guy they fear the most. And so, you know, it's not I'm not sure I agree with that, but because, uh, um, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I think they want him as the as the candidate, uh, as the nominee, because they think he, he'll be the easiest to defeat. There might be some truth in that. Um, but their logic is not terrible. Um, they look at it and they say, wow, they sure do fear him. I'm, I think we should stick with him. 
So, uh, you know, way to go, uh, left. Um, great job there. Right. Uh, now he's in a stronger place than ever before. And the rest of his field, Mike Pompeo saw it early. I know. I think Tom Cotton wanted to run. I think that Mike mm-hmm. Pompeo wanted to run. Mm-hmm. And he just said, this is not the time. And, you know, Mike Pompeo, to me, he lost about 60 pounds. He was ready to go. <laughs> he was. Uh, he looked at that resume. He had a book come out. This would seem the perfect cue. And then something made him think that Trump is stronger than anyone knows. And that's yeah. what I think we're finding out now. And you know what the first time in our lifetime, Barton? We actually have two recent terms to compare. We gave you four years of Trump. Take a look. We've given you mm-hmm. almost four years of Biden. Take a look. I don't, you don't mm-hmm. need a 30-second ad to say, what would he do? Uh, yeah. This is what – watch what he did. And that's why I think that it's been underestimated why Trump is gaining momentum. Do you think yeah. I have a point? It's okay to say no. Uh, I absolutely agree with that. I mean um, – Everyone I talk to uh, at these Trump rallies, they say, you know, um, things were better uh, when he was president. Um, you know, they some some of them point to gas prices or whatever, and you know, we could have an argument about why that is. Um, but uh, we didn't have inflation. Now you can blame, you know, you can point out that uh, inflation was caused by a lot of the, the COVID stimulus craziness, um, of which Trump was part. Uh, but still, it's still true that um, a lot of the problems that they describe, such as inflation, uh, they just weren't around uh, when Trump was president. Uh, we had uh, a decent growth in the economy, um, low unemployment, et cetera, um, and and uh, um, people felt better then. As you as you say, it doesn't take thirty seconds to point this out. Got it. Uh, listen, it's going to be interesting, Barton. I look forward to you your, uh, you writing all about this in your columns in Wall Street Journal. Uh, Barton Swam, thanks, uh, Swim, thanks so much. Thanks a lot, Brian. You got it. Um, 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, Senator Lindsey Graham, front and center, ranking member of the Judiciary uh, Committee and Appropriations and Budget, just back from Saudi Arabia. His take on the hits on the Houthis and more at Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So last night, the Houthi rebels got slammed, uh, and about time, too. A hundred precision-guided munitions of various types used in the strike, 60 separate targets. We had multiple countries take part in it, and they targeted this radical Shia group who is running a portion of Yemen, who has been harassing Sunni Saudi Arabia. And we sadly soon sided this administration with the Houthis, and we're paying the price. I asked Senator Lindsey Graham about the strikes and the quality of it moments ago. Here's what he said. Senator Lindsey Graham. Your thoughts about the attack last night? Uh, I'm glad it was uh, big, but I think it's insufficient to change the problem. The problem is Iran does not care how many hoodies you kill. They don't care if Hezbollah or Hamas dies. They care about themselves. Until you make it real to the Ayatollah and his leaders, 
that we're going to hit you if this continues, it will continue. We only have so many rockets to knock down so many drones. It costs about $2 million each. Yeah. Yeah. Soon they're going to have to send our ships back to get rearmed to knock this down. We had no choice but to attack, correct? Oh, totally. I mean, you, he, the president has all authority in the world, but we let it get out of hand. Ronald Reagan blew up a, uh, oil um, oil rig when Iran got frisky on his watch. Uh, Trump killed Soleimani, the head of the Revolutionary Guard. We have been playing defense for the entire Biden time. Uh, everybody thinks he is weak. So the way you stop this is what General Keene's been saying. You select targets inside of Iran and you up the cost of using proxies against us where the Iranians lose some of their assets. We know that uh, Israel hard at work in Gaza. Uh, they've lost over 100 people in trying to uh, liberate that area. But they do not want to turn it over back to Hamas or the Palestinian Authority. Have you heard a good day-after plan yet? I think the day-after plan is to destroy Hamas because they're terrorists who will keep doing it again. The PA is corrupt and old. Uh, have Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, put money into to Gaza and the West Bank with a new form of governance with people that are less corrupt and younger and willing to live in peace with Israel is the only way forward. You cannot expect Israel to stop military operations until Hamas is destroyed. Right. Uh, Hezbollah, 11 rockets last night. Do you think they want this fight with Israel? No, I think that's a harassing uh, action by Hezbollah. Hezbollah has 100,000 rockets that are precision-guided, pointed at Israel, and they're a proxy of Iran. This is the insurance policy in the eyes of the Ayatollah, that if you try to take my nuclear program out, I will unleash Hezbollah on Israel. So really, truth be not, Hezbollah does not want to fight with Israel. Uh, Ukraine aid, it's uh, hooked to the border. I know you want Ukraine aid. You also want the border fixed. How close do you think Senator Langford is to putting together an immigration plan that you'd be able to sign off on and the House would sign off on? He's done a good job in many areas. Asylum reform is real. Uh, we're doing some things. Uh, on on top, parole? Uh, parole is the big sticking point. Before, look at the last decade before uh, Biden was president. How many people were paroled every year? About five to 10,000. They paroled 1.2 million in FY23. They paroled 85,000, the Biden administration did, in the month of December. I cannot support any legislation that doesn't restrict the use of parole. Sadly, Donald Trump trying to get rid of sanctuary cities was a niche story. Now it's a national story. Donald Trump building the wall was something seemed like a personal thing. Now it seems like to be a necessary thing. So many of the policies that he stood for now have momentum right. without him. Well, the bottom line is he was right. The best way to, to keep the Mideast calm is to be strong. You had the Arabs reconcile with Israel through the Abraham Accords because Trump stood up to run. The Iranians would not be doing this in the Red Sea if Trump were president. R Russia would not have invaded Ukraine. Uh, the border was the most secure in the last 40 years because Mexico was afraid of Trump. We've lost fear. We've lost deterrence. And the only way you'll get it back is Donald Trump. I, I hear everywhere, I like Trump's policies, but we've got to have somebody less volatile. Here's what I will tell you. All the talented people we have in the primary could not do what Trump did. Mexico was afraid of Trump. Putin was afraid of Trump. The Ayatollah was afraid of Trump. Lastly, Russia aid. Where is Ukraine on this? And uh, they are desperate to get it. Yeah. But they also told selected people like you that they need it by February. They didn't necessarily need it in January, but right. by February. 
you know the the political minefield this is. Well, the bottom line is uh, Ukraine has put up one hell of a fight. They got invaded by one of the largest armies in the world. They destroyed half of the Russian military. They have we haven't lost one soldier. We spent about five percent of our budget, and they kicked the Russians out of fifty percent of the territory they previously held. It's a good investment. I want desperately to help Ukraine to stay in the fight with weapons, not soldiers. And we need to secure our border. I can't tell South Carolinians I'm helping Ukraine and Israel without securing the border. Here's the problem. It's clear to me that the Biden administration policies are indeed open borders, and we cannot continue those policies. The likelihood of getting attacked in America by a terrorist group is sky high. Uh, Your lawyer, what you can see of this Georgia situation is stunning. You have a suburban attorney focusing on car accidents who suddenly gets named special prosecutor alleged to have an affair with uh, Fannie Willis, and then he goes to the White House and meets with their justice uh, elements in order to, nothing else to coordinate. No longer can you say there's no coordination between the court cases against Trump and the White House. Am I right? Yeah, you're dead right. Uh, Forget about the personal drama here. What are you doing in the White House for eight hours? Just think about eight hours is a long time to spend anywhere. So you have the Biden administration coordinating, apparently, with the prosecution in Georgia. And the thing I've objected to from day one, this is a county prosecutor going after the president of the United States, former president. This is a dangerous president to set for our country, making up some grand scheme RICO violation under Fulton County, Georgia law. We're... We're off base here, and and if you can show that the Fulton County prosecution team was coordinating with the White House, I hope this case gets dismissed. Senator, thanks so much. Thank you. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I come to you from Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. This hour, we're going to be joined by Jeff Benedict. He's the author of The Dynasty, uh, about the New England Patriots under Robert Kraft, Belichick, and Brady. And now it looks as though they have named a coach uh, of the New England Patriots, and it is Gerard Mayo. And he is on the roster already, African-American guy, so I know the league will be pleased about that. It was assumed he was the heir apparent, but when Mike Variable became available, they thought that Variable might be the guy. We'll see. Laura Reese will be with us, Director of Border Security Immigration at the Heritage Foundation. Carol Markowitz is standing by. Uh, We have a lot going on today, not just the election, and I'll explain. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Future attorneys general will be able to use the information that we have obtained in our investigation to hold these people accountable for the crimes that they've committed. So we did we did everything by the book. And he saw James Comer talking about the Hunter Biden investigation. Hunter in hot water in Los Angeles a day after his stunt in D.C. I have news for the president's son. The worst is yet to come. Number two. Temperatures are dropping. Um, you know, my my Florida blood is, is adapting. I got more reinforcements with layers of clothes on the way. I understand it's going to be minus four, but if I can get my Florida butt back up here. 
everyone can get back up there. Yep, there you go. Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump Jr. Iowa caucus three days away. And weather will not cooperate as it drops below zero. Latest poll proves concerning to DeSantis, reassuring for Trump. Buckle up as world events go front and center. Court cases and polls and primaries uh, position to occupy your life. Number one. Well, this is the most comprehensive attack that we've conducted, uh, you know, since the war in Gaza uh, began. It really quite significant in terms of what they went after. That is General Jack Keane, Middle East on fire. And we finally fire back at the Houthi rebels. The details and the blowback from Democrats. Yes, Democrats and protesters express outrage at us. Unbelievable. Carol Markowitz joins us, New York Post columnist, co-author of Stolen Youth. Carol, welcome back. Hi, Brian. Thanks so much for having me. So, I mean, you're not missing us in New York. Times Square <laughs> yesterday, uh, big chance. Can we hear him, yeah. Josh? This is what you miss, Carol. These are the chants in New York streets after we hit back the Houthi rebels who mm-hmm. have hit us back, uh, hit us maybe 30 times. I mean, what an embarrassment. They're actually cheering for the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like a genius every day down here in Florida, I have to tell you. Uh, every day I watch the news and think, you know, this is the smartest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, I, I, I feel really sad about what's going on in New York, and I feel kind of devastated that my city has come to that because I love New York. I, I grew up there. I, I, I feel such a, you know, warmth towards it, and I want it to recover, and I want it to be better. But they keep doing crazy things. I, I have to compliment you on something, by the way, Brian. I saw you on TV, and I thought you were the only person making this point I, I, in general over the last few days. But the school where the migrants were moved into in Brooklyn, uh, everybody was saying, oh, you know, you get what you voted for. Ha ha. Like New York gets what it voted for. But you were the only one making the point that this is not hipster Brooklyn. This was deep in Brooklyn where everybody pretty much is voting Republican. It's, it's really red Brooklyn. It's immigrant Brooklyn. These people are not, you know, um, these these liberals who think let's open the borders and let everybody in. These people followed a process to get to the country, and they're watching their schools being shut down in the name of people who got here illegally. And so I, I really want to commend oh. you for kind of noting that detail because I was like screaming at my TV that everybody kept saying, you know, you get what you vote for, but these people did not vote for that. They didn't, and a lot of these working-class parents have been hopping on our television, on our network, because we want to mm-hmm. hear what they have to say, and they have their kids on too. They don't want to be on Zoom anymore. And now we know that even Anthony Fauci, who did this, he doesn't even acknowledge that kids had deficit learning during that period, which is astounding to me because I know we can't believe that. Number one, Park Slope, for people listening around the country, is a beautiful area. So there's areas of Brooklyn as elite as you ever want to be. It's not just Manhattan anymore. What Mm -hmm. they do is they take these illegal immigrants and they put them into places like Brentwood, Long Island, working class, heavily Hispanic, uh, often overtaxed, teachers underpaid, facilities underwhelming. And they did the same thing with Madison, uh, James Madison High School. They tell these kids to go home, miss their basketball games, miss their football games, their wrestling matches. Uh, Go ahead. Don't go to extra help. Go home and Zoom because we're going to make this. We're going to make your school home to illegal immigrants who are at Floyd Bennett School. So take advantage of working class people. 
Exactly. So I grew up in the area of Madison High School, but before we left New York, we were living in Park Slope. So I've gotten to experience, you know, the range of Brooklyn. And I I know that where Madison High School is, is a working class, but very sane, want safety, want security. They're not marching against police next to Madison High School. They're not, you know, saying, let's open the borders and let in anybody who wants to come. That's happening in Park Slope. And yet the people who live around Madison High School have had to deal with the repercussions of that. So I want to bring you to uh, the 2024. Well, actually, before I do that, why not just finish this talking point up? AOC, Hillary Vaughn, walking out of her office, she asked him about this whole thing, uh, about migrants moving into these schools. Listen to her response. Mm -hmm. Cut 28. Are you okay with a school being used as a shelter? You know, I think it's... uh... Again, this is not, uh, it's not in my district. It's in Congressman Eva right. Clark's district, so I want to be clear on the, you know, she, she's the expert on the details on that. Yes. I think it's very clear here um, that what's most important is that we identify a facility that's appropriate for these folks. Um, I don't anticipate this being a, a long-term solution. It shouldn't be a long-term solution. And our hope is that we're able to find a, something that works best for everybody. And she went on to say this, cut 29. Mayor Adams has proposed people opening up their homes, renting out spare rooms to house migrants. Do you think that's a good idea? I mean, I think he, as the mayor, is looking for, you know, what facilities work. I know there's also folks that have pointed out other facilities. Um, So, you know, that's a city-level policy. Do you believe this? So the city will pay you to rent out rooms in your house because we're out of room. We got about 80,000 people here. Yeah, I can't see that ending badly at all. Um, Who knows who it is you're renting a room to. I know I've made this point on your show before, but I think it's really important to say again. I was a refugee to this country as a child. I came from the Soviet Union. There was a process, Brian. We had to wait in Italy because that was the first country to allow us in from Russia. And that's where we had to wait in order to be accepted into the United States. Or people went to other countries. They went to Canada, Australia, Israel, etc., and you had to wait. There wasn't an option where you just hopped a flight and said, here I am, take care of me. And one of the things that you were waiting for, and this is so important for people to understand how it used to work, was that somebody in the country that you were going to had to say, I will take care of this person. I will take care of this family. They will live with me or I will provide their shelter. They will not be a burden on public services. And that was the most key thing. Yes. We were not allowed to get wow. to America and get on welfare. We were not allowed to say, oh, we're, we're Where's my free housing? None of that was going to be acceptable. We had somebody who was sponsoring us, who was going to be responsible for us until we got on our feet, until we got jobs, etc. That is missing now. Now it's like, here I am, take care of me. And that is so awful for a country to just accept people. They don't know who's coming in. It's all, they're completely circumventing the process and they're paying to get them taken care of while we have people on our own streets, we have people unemployed here. We have so many issues, and we're not dealing with any of that. And we're allowing this mass migration to come in on our southern border and say, oh, we'll just take care of you when you get here. And now they're giving free health care in California. Why would you yeah. not come here? So Right. Well, it's also just one more thing. It's important to remember that every single Democratic candidate in 2020 raised their hand on the, on the debate stage when they were asked, will you provide health care for illegal immigrants? People around the world heard them loud and clear. Biden won. He was one of the people raising his hands. Why wouldn't they want to come here for the free health care? Uh, so I was now uh, three days away. And if I look at the last poll, Ron DeSantis dropped to third. 
uh, let's say he's a solid second or third. Mm-hmm. If I told you this a year and a half ago or a year ago that Ron DeSantis would be struggling behind Nikki Haley and 20 to 30 points behind President Trump, would you have said I was crazy? know that I well here's the thing I think he comes in second um, I think some of these recent polls are questionable they're they're polling a lot of Democrats only 500 um, people too yeah so I, I do think he comes in second but look Donald Trump is a juggernaut he has been that since he first came down the escalator he is a force to be reckoned with it's completely insane to think that anybody would have come in and just stolen his thunder he's very tough to beat um, having said that, I think it would have been a different ball game if there were fewer candidates. Obviously, I think that a one-on-one match would have been different. But look, you can't control what happens, and you can't control which candidates get into the field. For a Floridian like me, I feel like we're on a free roll. You know, if if Ron DeSantis wins, you know, Iowa, whatever, he goes on to compete for the presidency. Who knows? Um, but anyway, we get him. We get to have him as governor. So for me, it's sort of a win-win situation. I'm also I've said it before on here. I like Donald Trump as well. Um, I, I don't think that this is a, a situation where you know you have to hate one of these men. I, I hate the the vitriol that's online uh, between their supporters, where you know they go at each other's throats. I think all of that is unfortunate. So um, you know we'll see what happens. But I, I, I my prediction is Ron DeSantis in second. At, at you know, at worst. So I want to bring up two things. I thought that Donald Trump at that town hall did a few things that I thought were uh, really good. When asked about retribution, he said, I'm not going to have any time for retribution. I have too many problems to fix. And when asked about looking forward, when asked about 2020, he said, I'm looking ahead. That's exactly what his team has been wanting to say really since 2020. Uh, that's to me is significant. And also we qualified the dictator comment that people f- pretended as if they didn't understand uh, and said, I don't want to be a dictator. I'm telling you right away, I'm taking care of the border and I'm going to start drilling. But he qualified it. How important yeah. are those three basic things? Well, I think that the retribution comment was very important for him to make because I think a lot of people are seeing kind of the rage from his supporters where they think that he's going to get into office and just start arresting his opponents. And, you know, I, I think the, the, the average voter in America is not on Twitter, does not know the minutia of, of various squabbles. And it was good for him to say that. So what I didn't like, obviously, was um, continuing to say that Ron DeSantis somehow was a, a Fauci fan. I mean, I moved to Florida because Ron DeSantis was specifically not a Fauci fan and not following Fauci. Um, so I, you know, I, I push back on that every opportunity I get because to me it's important for me not to defend Ron DeSantis so much, but to defend Florida and to defend the policies that Governor DeSantis had here. Um, so that was to me the minus. But you're right, the, the, the comment where I'm going to be actively pursuing my agenda and I'm not going to have time for side battles. I think that is so important for him to say. And I, I think the the average moderate voter who maybe isn't even voting in the Republican primary, I think it, they need to hear that. I would be great. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, uh, Carol Markowitz just taunting me by saying that she is happy <laughs> to be in Florida right now. And by the way, hey, taunting you're, you're people of Iowa, here. minus five <laughs> in Iowa. Oh, my goodness. Right. I told your producer we're freezing at 68 degrees here. Yeah. Uh, to, yeah, you must have to get a windbreaker. I hope you have one handy before it's too late. Carol, thank you. Thank you, Brian. All right. Uh, listen, we come back. My first chance to get some phone calls in, so get online. 1-866-408-7669. Also, a quick note. Anyone near Juliet, uh, Illinois, which I know people, especially in Indiana, MRC listeners, we're going to be giving away tickets to local uh, our local affiliates. 
But if you're in the area, if you want a great night, a great afternoon, it's uh, 2 o'clock local time. There will be 3 o'clock Eastern. Uh, it's going to be uh, America Great from the Start. I'll be on stage, of course, talking about Teddy and Booker T, the book that's now back on the New York Times bestseller list for the fifth week. So thanks so much for doing that. But talking about America just through my through my books and also it's going to be fun, inspirational, motivational, and patriotic. We're going to stream it, so watch it on Fox Nation. But also get there and get some tickets now, VIP opportunities. I can meet you before the show, com. Next, your calls. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Yesterday, I received a phone call from a DTS uh, higher up, Mr. Victor Escalon, informing me that the governor of Texas, uh, Governor Abbott, through the state's emergency declaration was going to take full control and custody of Shelby Park. This is not something that the city wanted, requested, asked for. Uh, He made it clear that this is the state and that they have the legal authority to do that. Of course, our legal team is looking into the actions uh, taken by the states. I think that both parties are at fault for failing to pass immigration reform. So I blame both parties. I'm not a fan of the Democrats or the Republicans. We're caught in the middle of this. We didn't ask for for this. Number one, you you are acting like a Democrat. Eagle Pass Mayor Rolando Salinas. Why would you not want your border reinforced? What Border Patrol has been forced to do is cut away the barbed wire and the barriers and let people in. With this new task force from the governor of Texas is they're not going to allow it. So they got their national guard fanned out really acting like the border patrol because this president will not back the border they've had it they've they're done and this park was a breach point and they just closed it and then they shut out the border patrol because of it now the border patrol union president says he has no problem with it it is going to be of course going through the courts but this mayor salinas is everything you don't like about politicians and here's why what you don't like about politicians who care about the party first, not the people that put you there. That's a perfect example of it. Carol in Georgia. Hey, Carol. Hey. Thank what? you for having me on. No problem. What's on your mind? I've been, trying to get on your, I've been trying to get on here for I don't know how long to talk to you. Go ahead. What's on your mind? Well, I was just wondering, you know, this border thing, it's like, what, you know, why did we let it get out of hand in the first place? Uh, it was, it was the opposite day on, on the on the best scenario, opposite day. Anything Trump was doing, I'll do. I'll change. And this President Biden says on stage, you know, when you come, you get to stay. They remember that they cross with Biden shirts on. They 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 yeah, thank well, Joe Biden when they cross. So he can't pretend he didn't start this. Well, they need to say right now and get it out just like you or you need to get it out on on the uh, radio show that. Biden says, come to my house. Just come. <laughs> Thanks so much for the call, Carol. Joseph in Illinois. Joseph. Yeah, uh, awesome to talk to you, Brian. I listen to you and Jimmy every single Thank day. Thank you. Um, and uh, I was just wondering, like, I've been listening to the press briefings the past two days, yesterday and the day before, and every single time John Kirby is asked, what what is the, going to be the response to these Houthi rebels? And every single time is that they will pay the price. They will pay the price. Well, 
win because last week they said the same thing. That it was the last warning. Last night. They, yeah. And when, when is it going to be the last warning? Because clearly it's not. And well, I mean, we, we, I'm saying, I don't know if you know anything? this or not, but there was 100 precision guided munitions. Uh, multiple countries uh, hit them hard yesterday. I don't know what we're going to do to follow up. We'll see what happens. Uh, thanks so much for the call. When we get back. I'm going to talk about the border in great detail with Laura Reese. And also then we're going to talk about the other breaking news. One of the most successful coaches in sports history, uh, uh, Bill Belichick, moving on from New England. They already have another coach. Interesting, right? Uh, where is he going to go after that? What about Nick Saban? I think he's leaving a sinking ship in college football, unless you're from one of the handful of universities still playing. A lot going on. So glad you're here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think bipartisan is the only way to get the job done. And first of all, before I get on immigration, I want to thank the senator for the work he did. uh, Because we're able to do something, and and it's very significant, because in the last year we had more than $863 billion of trade between the U.S. and Mexico. With this, we're going to allow more of the legitimate trade and tourism. Now, on the immigration, yes, do we need to make some changes on the asylum? And there's a lot of people that are able to come in, wait four, five, six years, and then get rejected. Eighty-seven percent of them are going to be rejected at the end of four or five uh, years in the future. So why are we allowing so many people in where it's a false promise they're not going to be able to stay at the end of the four or five years when they go in front of an immigration judge. That is a Democrat which is relatively reasonable, Congressman Henry Cuellar. He lives on the border community. They try to primary every time the Democrats do. He wants to get something done working with Senator Ted Cruz on uh, the, the a port of entry, uh, different, uh, different trade opportunities, but also talked about the collapse of the border and the asylum system. Uh, with us right now to discuss this in detail, Laura Reese, Director of Border Security and Immigration Center at Heritage. Laura, welcome. Thanks, Brian, for having me on. No problem. First off, you hear about what needs to be done at the border, uh, and you know H.R. 2 is what the House wants. You know that something was an outline was supposed to come out this week from the Senate side. It seems to have fallen apart. What could you tell us? What do you hear, being that you're right there in Washington? Well, I, I think talks are continuing, and um, Senator Mitch McConnell is continuing to push Senator Langford to get a deal. Um, in fact, uh, Senator McConnell is saying now is the time to take the deal because he's assuming if Trump wins the presidency, then Congress wouldn't be able to get a border security deal uh, with Trump in the White House. However, the list of supposed items that uh, make up the Langford deal um, is no deal at all. It would not solve the border disaster we're facing right now. Worse, it would codify some of the tools the Biden administration is using to carry out this crisis. So um, it's really important that this deal um, die. Well, the one thing we hear is it's going to be asylum reforms. They're going to have rapid return, the end of catch and release. Uh, and also, I do not know what's going on with so-called parole. They have not agreed on the border and unaccompanied minors. Uh, what else, uh, what do you, what bothers you most? 
Well, parole is one of the key tools that the, the Biden administration has been using, mass parole. And a year ago, uh, Secretary Mayorkas has, has created this shell game saying, stop crossing between the ports of entry. Instead, use the CBP Mobile One app, go to a port of entry, and we will parole you in. He's not authorized to do that. One, he's going around the visa requirement that is in law. And two, he's offering, in essence, a visa. Only Congress can do that. So part of this supposed deal includes only giving parole to those who go to a port of entry. All that does is codify Mayorkas's unconstitutional and unlawful benefits. Another key aspect that no one talks about is taxpayer immigration deportation attorneys starting with unaccompanied children. The current law says if you are in deportation proceedings, you can have an attorney at no expense to the government. And the left has always been trying to chip away at that and chip away at that, and they always start with the children. And here, supposedly in this deal, they want to give taxpayer deportation attorneys to unaccompanied children. It never stops there. They will continue to expand it. And the cost of that is a fiscal bottomless pit. If you think about the number of appearances in court, they always ask for continuances. They file motions. They always appeal it multiple times because they want to stay here longer. So they game the court system. No way should taxpayers pay for attorneys for that. U.S. citizens don't get taxpayer-funded civil attorneys. So what, what could be done at the border? Just wait for another president? How, right how, now, what, what is it going to be like if we don't do anything? If, if nothing happens, then this continues, and we have millions more come in illegally and stay here. The, the one thing that has to happen is Congress needs to defund the NGOs, the non-governmental organizations that are carrying all this out for the administration. If you look at the how are these illegal aliens getting the food and the shelter and the transportation, free airline tickets all over the U.S., the free health care, et cetera. It's because the Biden administration is paying hundreds of millions of dollars to multiple NGOs every year to carry all this out for them. And they are out of money. I mean, you can see online, on Twitter, et cetera, they have burned through the NGO money. And that's why Mayorkas and, and Biden and these NGOs and the congressional Democrats of Colorado are all begging for money. Uh, because they have burned through their NGO money. Uh, You've got NGOs saying, hey, our shelters are full. We need more money. Now is the time for Congress to say, no, we are defunding these NGOs. They have them on the ropes. They need to use the power of the purse and defund them. Right. Uh, And now we we see these a lot of these governors like Governor Abbott taking things into uh, their own hands. Uh, Pretty, uh, pretty crazy situation in all these major cities. That's a big difference now. So the, the cities are paying billions of dollars out to house migrants. That's no longer a border problem. It's a national problem. What does that do for this for this issue? Well, it uh, fires up Americans, that's for sure. And Americans all over the country see that this just isn't a border problem in Texas. It is in their own backyard. When New York City uh, students are being kicked out of their own active school, so that illegal aliens can be sheltered and, and U.S. citizen kids have to go back online, a la COVID response. You know, what are we doing? It's, it's Americans last and illegal aliens first. 
Um, and so this is happening all over the country where, again, because of the, the numbers, we're talking about over 10.2 million illegal aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, and that affects all the localities. And you can't have an open border and a welfare system. There's just no way that you can take the volume of people and continue to pay for this. We're trying. So it looks it, like and New York is paying a huge price in the classroom, too. Overcrowded classrooms where kids don't speak English, everybody suffers. One of the worst lawmakers around, Congressman uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, has a suggestion for how to handle the number of illegal immigrants in our midst. Cut 30. New Yorkers generally are pretty fired up about the migrant crisis that they're being confronted with. Do you think that they're wrong to be so fed up about this issue? No, I don't think think, um, it's wrong. I think that... The state of our immigration policy is is not serving anybody best. It's not serving migrants best. It's not serving New Yorkers best. It's not serving the country best. The solution, though, is instead of forcing people to be reliant on a shelter system and busing people around the country, that we actually address our broken immigration system and let people work, let people have be able to apply for work permits, get jobs. There are plenty of job openings right now um, so that they can support themselves, put a shirt on their own back and not be relying on public systems. What's the problem with letting them work? Uh, Because the law says you're not allowed to work here without work authorization. Look, there's five things that illegal aliens want. They want to enter the U.S., they want to stay here, work here, send money home and bring family or have kids here. So if you're going to give them a work permit, you're giving them exactly what they want, and it just perpetuates more illegal immigration. People come here to make a better life, to make more money than they can back home. And she is just facilitating that for what she's calling for. As usual, uh, they don't understand. Governor Gavin Newsom says you get free health care. If you're in Ecuador, why would you not come when the word gets out that if you get to the border, you get to stay? So I just wonder what this border is going to look like if we do nothing. But you got to figure you guys have leverage on the president for the first time because he can't fund his war without border. And the border, uh, if you can't do the border, he's not going to get funding for the wall. So you guys have leverage. Have you been consulting at all with any of the negotiators? Well, the uh, on the Senate side, they have been uh, have very few people in the room, and they are not uh, consulting with Trump's uh, border leaders, who were very successful at having a secure border. Um, they are doing it themselves. They are not really taking advice. They're not sharing um, text language, and this is it, this never leads. It's not a good process. It never leads to good results. So I don't foresee this being a successful negotiation. Mm-hmm. And the true test is, would it undo this crisis? And the answer is no. All right. Uh, Thanks so much, uh, Laura Reese, uh, Director of Border Security and Immigration Center at the Heritage Foundation. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Brian. When we come back, uh, this will be a huge sports week. Jeff Benedict all over it. He's got a series on Apple uh, based off his book uh, called The Dynasty, all about the Patriots. We'll talk about that. The other seven job openings in the league where Belichick will land. It looks like the Patriots might even have a coach. What was behind all this? We'll discuss it. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The 
fast as three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Robert and I, after a you know, series of discussions, have uh, mutually uh, uh, part ways. For me, this is a day of you know, gratitude and celebration. Start with Robert and his family. So much thanks for the opportunity to, to be a coach here for 24 years. Uh, it's an amazing opportunity. Received tremendous support. Uh, we had a vision of you know building a winner, building a championship football team here, and uh, exceeded my my wildest dreams um, and expectations. Uh, the amount of success that we were able to achieve together, um, you know, through a lot of hard work and you know contributions of so many people. I'm very proud of that, and and um, I always have those those great memories. I'll carry with those those with me the rest of my life. The exit press conference of Bill Belichick, along with Robert Kraft, said goodbye, and they've already hired a, another coach. It looks like Jeff Benedict joins us now, New York Times bestselling author. Uh, his book, The Dynasty, is now going to be a TV series. It looks fantastic. I was just looking at the trailer. And chronicles the inside story of, on all the success and the turmoil and the controversy with the rise and on the winnings in the Super Bowls and now the crash of the New England Patriots. Jeff, welcome back. Are you surprised yesterday happened? Hey, Brian. Happy New Year. Um, no, I'm not surprised at all. Uh, I, what I What I was surprised about, frankly, the entire time I was writing the dynasty was how long these guys lasted together. Um, it, it is an unprecedented run for a, frankly, for a three, for three people, for the quarterback, the coach, and the owner. Um, yesterday marked the end of 24 years, which is the longest partnership between an owner and a coach in the history of the NFL. And four years ago, we watched Tom Brady leave after what was the longest partnership between a coach and a quarterback. And I just think there's so many things about that. Uh, The focus is obviously, you know, the end. But to me, it's really about its durability and its longevity. We'll never see anything like this again in American team sports. I mean, the truth is we've never seen anything like it in the past. The thing is, you, you point out, they weren't getting along most of the time. I mean, Brady and Belichick, Brady said some incredible things about Belichick. But what, what could, how do you describe their relationship in your research in the book and soon to be on TV, soon to be a series? Well, I, the, the comparison I made in the book, uh, Brian, and, and I stick by it to this day, is Belichick and Brady, to me, are the NFL's version of Lennon and McCartney. They, they started out together when they were both, you know, young in their career. They ascended together. They became superstars together. And then they basically conquered the sports world together. And they became the two biggest stars in American football. And they dominated that stage for 20 years. And I think the reason I like comparison with, with Lennon and McCartney is because we all know that by the end of that relationship, it, you know, it had its strains. It, it had its moments of tension, but that's also when they made their best music. And I think that that's really what it was like for Bill and Tom. The, the best part of that run to me wasn't the beginning. It was the end when they, when they went to those three Super Bowls and uh, actually four Super Bowls and won three of them at the end of a 20 year run. To me, that just speaks to what the magic they made basically when Bill put on a headset and Tom put on a helmet. When those two guys were on the field together, they just did things that no one else can do. Well, uh, let me just tell you. So we heard about the arguments. We heard that he didn't treat Brady at all like a superstar, sometimes harder, ran him harder than, a, than he would other players. How that affected the rest of the team is fascinating. 
But he wrote yesterday, did Tom Brady, I'm incredibly grateful to have played for the best coach in NFL history. He was a great leader for the organization and for the players who played for him. We accomplished uh, he accomplished some amazing things over a long period of time, many of which will be hard to replicate. We, he worked hard every day to help to achieve the ultimate goal and the ultimate team sport, and he goes on. Is that sincere? Oh, absolutely, 100% sincere. I, I think here's the thing. Anybody that's been around, um, you know, super successful, high-pressure partnerships, whether it's in the corporate world, in the entertainment space, you know that obviously there are moments, there is tension, there are disagreements. That's, that's part of the nature of the, of the business. I think what, what really matters, though, and the reason that this, this interesting relationship, Kraft, Belichick, and Brady, endured for so long is because they, they shared a mutual goal. And at the end of the day, when it was time to take on their opponents, they were lockstep in line with each other every single time. And, and I think that's really what matters. And then, you know, after the fact, I think what you saw yesterday when, when Robert and Bill said goodbye, I mean, you know, Robert made a statement about marriage and marriages are hard and they take work. And I think that that was a, a very elegant acknowledgement that, you know, even good marriages, even great marriages have stress fractures at times and you got to work through things. That's what makes them great. And I think that the, Brady, Belichick, and Kraft did that. I, I see them more as a hallmark for class. I mean, think about it, Brian. You're, you're a big sports fan. You consume a lot of sports. How common is it for a coach to get fired at the end of the NFL season with a terse press release that says so-and-so has been always like every time? What you saw yesterday, you never see that. You never see that. And you also never see Tom Brady leaves the team goes to Tampa, wins the Super Bowl, retires, and what's the first thing that happens is the Patriots bring him back for the opening day of this season. They have a whole day dedicated to Brady and a, and a big thing at halftime where he tells everyone in New England, I'm a Patriot for life. I mean, that to me is the uniqueness of the Patriot way. But don't you think that Robert Kraft's role as a referee uh, is understated and uh, big underreported? It's... Robert's role, <laughs> you know, what Tom and Bill do is very visible because they're the ones that are on television. They're out on the field, sideline and field. You can see what they do. You can't see what an owner does. And most of the time, owners, owners are more likely to mess things up yeah. than actually help a team succeed. I think what's been incredible about this partnership is Kraft at times was a very critical bridge I called it shuttle diplomacy in the book. He performed a lot of shuttle diplomacy between Tom and Bill, particularly in those latter years. And I think he deserves a ton of credit as an owner for those last three Super Bowls. When are we going to see the series, Jeff? Uh, Series debuts or premieres, I should say, on Apple TV next month on the 16th of February. Awesome. Ten-part documentary series based off your book, The Dynasty, which is awesome. Uh, No one does it like Jeff. Jeff Benedict, thanks so much. Congratulations on making this TV radio. And, of course, uh, this story just moved again, so you might have to change the last part. (laughs) Thanks, Brian. Go get him. Uh, That's called Dynasty. By the way, always listen on this station, and you can always listen on the Fox News app. Just click on the headsets. Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show.
Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. But don't come in, especially if you're a protester and want to scream anti-American phrases. This hour, we're going to be joined by Shannon Bream, who is uh, uh, sunning herself in beautiful Iowa. It's wonderful this time of year. And Bill Hemmer, co-anchor of America's Newsroom, be with me at the bottom of the hour. Tap into his sports knowledge as well as his news acumen. Uh, we have a lot going on today. We're following uh, some attacks overseas. We're following the latest on, pol- uh, on politics. And, of course, this is going to be a very, busy, very busy uh, weekend. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Future attorneys general will be able to use the information that we have obtained in our investigation to hold these people accountable for the crimes that they've committed. So we did we did everything by the book. Yes, you have, uh, James Comer, and that's what this whole impeachment inquiry is about. Hunter is in hot water in L.A. a day after his stunt in D.C. I have news for the president's son. The worst is yet to come. Number two. Temperatures are dropping. Um, you know, my my Florida blood is, is adapting. I got more reinforcements with layers of clothes on the way. I understand it's going to be minus four, but if I can get my Florida butt back up here, everyone can get back up here. Okay, that was Don Jr. and, of course, Ron DeSantis. They will work hard. Iowa caucus, three days away. And the weather will not cooperate. It drops below zero. The latest poll, not great for DeSantis, reassuring for Trump, and hopeful, if this is in fact true, for Nikki Haley. We'll discuss the primaries and more. Number one. Well, this is the most comprehensive attack that we've conducted, uh, you know, since the war in Gaza uh, began. It really quite significant in terms of what they went after. That is Jack Keane saying a substantial hit. The Middle East on fire. When we finally fire back at the Houthi rebels, the details and the blowback from Democrats. Yes, Democrats and protesters express outrage not at Yemen, not at Hamas, not at the Houthis, but at the White House. Amazing. Uh, With me right now is Shannon Bream. She would not, even though uh, the weather would be prohibitive and and tough, you would not be protesting for uh, against the country pro-Hamas or Yemen. Is that correct? That is correct. Not a, not a position that I currently hold. Uh, Shannon, okay, thanks for joining me. I just wanted to make that clear. <laughs> uh, so we get that out of the way. Fox News Sunday will be coming from Iowa. Is, is that correct? Yeah, we are here in the midst of the blizzard, uh, and we do have a show set for Sunday live from Des Moines, regardless of the weather. All right, got a lot of people on Skype. It's going to be that, or you're going to have to interview a lot of people on Fox. <laughs> Listen, it's going to be tricky because, you know, all of our panelists that we have for Sunday, Dana Perino, Juan Williams, Britt Hume, and um, who am I forgetting? Is it Brian Kilmeade? Oh, uh, no, Rowe. you can't afford me. Um, we can't, We couldn't afford your demands. Um, but they're all supposed to be traveling in tomorrow, so we're working on a plan B because um, there, there's not a lot of is flying going bad? in and out of here. Is, is that it bad? It is. I mean, we've got wind gusts of in the 30 miles an hour. Um, the snow has been pouring in all night. We've got several inches now. And um, they said wind gusts are going to hit 50 miles an hour tomorrow. So they're predicting it's going to be feels like negative 45. So I don't know if you want to land in that kind of weather. I'm not that brave, but I'm hoping our panelists are. That's why I'm covering the South Carolina primary. <laughs> I don't think. Yeah. Live from these, these sunswept beaches of Kiowa. Exactly. Let me preview South. Yeah. Let me preview South Carolina. So, Shannon, do it. Yeah. So, Shannon, it's really bad. I mean, for example, can you drive on the roads? 
We have been driving today. Their plows are out. Because, you know, listen, Iowa, they do this. They're, they're used to this kind of thing. But it's a little treacherous. And um, if you're not where a plow has recently been, it's a little tricky. Um, so we are. We're out driving and trying to get around. And, you know, this morning the DeSantis team had an event. They were actually surprised by the number of people who showed up. But, you know, the Iowans keep telling us, like, we're going to show up on Monday. And the organization is and the ground game is everything on Monday because it's going to be brutal. You're not going to get out of the negative digits on Monday. Wow, it's going to be uh, fascinating to see. So let's talk about what happened last night. It, it looks like we finally answered back on the myriad of attacks by the Houthi rebels on uh, commercial ships as well as our vessels. And uh, CENTCOM and uh, Joint, they say, and Combined Air Component Command executed a deliberate strike on over 60 targets on 16 Iranian-backed Houthi militant locations, including the command and controls, munitions depots, launching systems, production facilities, and air defense radar systems. The Houthis said we killed five people. Over 100 precision-guided munitions of various types were used, including tomahawks. Uh, and this in response to 27-plus attacks on us in the region, including a massive one on Tuesday. What are, you, uh, what are you hearing about this attack? General Keene was one of the people who thought the magnitude was right. Mm-hmm. Well, and, but there are others who said, listen, we have been telegraphing this. Remember that joint statement with a number of other international partners? Like, you do one more thing and we're coming for you. Um, and so there are critics out there who say, listen, we telegraphed to them exactly what we're going to do. That's why this only took out five of the enemy combatants that are operating, you know, things for the Houthis. But there are others who said this is overdue. We, the, the administration has been very worried, and rightfully so. They don't want to expand the current borders of the Mideast War. They don't want this to become regional. But there's others who say if you don't show strong deterrence, that's going to happen anyway. you got to come hard at these guys. And so it looks like we did. Houthis are uh, saying that they are going to respond. We'll see what their capabilities are right now. But then you immediately trigger this debate in Washington from lawmakers who say they should have never done this without Congress. They needed our authorization. So, you know, Washington's always got to have its own internal debate about these things. Here's General Jack Keene this morning with me. Cut to. Well, this is the most comprehensive attack that we've conducted, uh, you know, since the war in Gaza uh, began. It really quite significant in terms of what they went after. Sixty targets, as you mentioned, 16 locations, over 100 precision-guided munitions delivered by air, surface, and subsurface capabilities. It was comprehensive. Command and control nodes, radar systems, the launch systems themselves, the storage sites for the rockets, missiles, and the drones, and the munitions depots. They're going through bomb damage assessment now to determine how effective this was. They were likely tracking that the Houthis were trying to hide some of this capability for the last few days, but we've got excellent surveillance there, and likely we were were able to determine where they were moving a lot of this. So he was happy with the magnitude, but what happens next is going to be key. And can you keep Mm -hmm. the coalition together? I thought it was interesting. Lindsey Graham was on with us. and He just joined us on this show, too. Mm -hmm. And Matt Gaetz has called out Lindsey Graham. Another war that Lindsey Graham wants to support does not support going after the Houthi rebels. It's just astounding to me that these guys who, let's not worry about anything overseas. Let's not worry about Ukraine, Israel. And if we get rocketed our ships, we should just absorb it. I, I don't understand the Republican mindset. Some yeah, of them. We, we, 
Well, think about, you know, we heard so much from President Trump about I'm going to keep people out of wars. We're going to get out of wars. And that was very popular. And the American people are fatigued. And so they were happy about that. But you got to balance that against these attacks on commercial shipping and, you know, non-military, you know, vessels in the Red Sea. I mean, 15 percent, what of the world's trade goes through there at some point. And so the ripple effects are that there are definitely interests for American citizens and beyond. I mean, these are people, but it's also commerce. It's going to drive your prices. It could possibly spark that broader regional war that, um, you know, the Biden administration is worried about. So there are other implications beyond it's bad, it's happening, and we don't want to get involved. So here is Ron DeSantis. We'll talk about what's online for him. He kind of knows this. This is what he said to Sean last night, cut 18. A caucus is just different than a typical election because it's about organization. It's about turning your people out. We've built an incredible organization. I've gone to all 99 counties Uh, I've answered questions from Iowans all across the state. That is not necessarily what coastal media likes to see. Uh, They think you're spending too much time listening to people. I disagree with that, that it does pay off on caucus night. Um, Your thoughts about the poll, only 500 people in a Suffolk poll that Mm -hmm. has DeSantis behind Nikki Haley now. What's at stake here, Shannon? Well, I think for him, um, just about everything, because their eggs are in this Iowa basket. They do feel really good about their ground game here. They are having excellent turnout at these events that they're doing, and it does come down to Monday night. We have a recent in-house polling at Fox that we released, obviously, publicly, but we asked people how enthusiastic and committed they were to actually showing up on caucus night no matter what, and Ron DeSantis led the pack with 67% said, no matter what, I'm showing up. President Trump was back in the 50s, I think, and Nikki Haley behind that. So we'll see if that bears on a Monday night because, you know, it's not you don't just go in and pull a lever, cast your vote, get your sticker and you leave. I mean, this is something that takes hours. You're going to have to navigate potentially treacherous roads Um, for Ron DeSantis. If he's right, this could be huge for him if his people really do show up, take part in the process. And he has a strong showing on Tuesday night. Short of that, if he is leapfrogged, as he is in this poll by Nikki Haley, with her going strong into New Hampshire and potentially picking up some of the Christie fallout, it's really tough to see how DeSantis moves forward in any kind of position of momentum if he doesn't have a good night Monday. Wow. And do you think that his team is worried about money allowing them to survive or two straight losses? Because nobody thinks he's going to do good in New Hampshire. Right. No, I think that they know they have to come out of the gate really strong here. That would encourage donors. It would turn some skeptical minds, I think, because they know it's going to be rough sledding for him, literally and figuratively, probably in New Hampshire and certainly South Carolina uh, as well. So, I mean, really all eyes are on him. They're trying to manage expectations. But he said this morning he loves being an underdog. All right. Uh, real quick on the secretary of defense, Austin disappearing. I, I can't get my head around how bad this is, knowing that we're kind of constant threat, knowing that we've fallen short in so many different areas, and to think our Secretary of Defense, a four-star general, would disappear and not tell anyone nor put anybody in charge, uh, and the president not need to talk to his Secretary of Defense for weeks. I, I There's so much concerning about this, Shannon. How does it feel inside Washington? Very strange, because it's almost like the more we get of an explanation, the more questions it provokes. So the number two was on vacation in Puerto Rico. You give her some of the duties, but you don't even tell the number two he's in the hospital or you don't tell the president. That's at the time that the president had had a meeting on January 1st, reportedly. Um, The secretary was part of that conversation. I think it was the president was in St. Croix, so this was done remotely. Um, But that later that day, our understanding of the timeline is that's when the secretary went in the hospital. The president had 
ask for military options with respect to this Houthi situation in the Red Sea. So the whole time the military is putting those together, Secretary Austin was in the hospital and the commander in chief didn't even know. It just gets stranger and stranger. True. Uh, Now, on the budget deal, a top line agreed on with the speaker and the president and the majority leader. And then Johnson got blown up yesterday by his conservative caucus, not just the Freedom Caucus, other members, Mm -hmm. too. So where do you go from here? Does Johnson just back off and let's let's redo a deal that Democrats don't want to take and the country shuts down? Well, I mean, that's what he's facing. And Republicans know if there's a government shutdown, if they run out of money next Friday, they will get pinned with it. I mean, they're the ones who are going to have to absolutely own that. So I think that's the last thing Republicans want to do. But he's running out of options. They've got a two-person majority, and that's not a lot to work with. So, you know, where does he go from here? Schumer says, no way. We're sticking to the bipartisan top line that we came up with. Um, But Johnson knows he can't lose more than two votes, so the whole thing implodes. And then if one person steps up and, and tries to recall him, it could they happen. They can do it. I mean, the rules didn't change. Yeah. And some of them are threatening to do that. Uh, Chip Roy mentioned it on Monday. Uh, Shannon, who's going to be on your show? We have got Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley with us live on Sunday morning to make their final bids and appeals to the people of Iowa. Then we've got Senator Joe Manchin with us, who, as you know, is in New Hampshire of all places today. Is he going to mount a third-party run? It's time he answers the question. We'll see if we can get it from him on Sunday. Give him my best. He's best friends with Nick Saban, who you know just resigned. I think they were teammates in college. So Mm -hmm. you might want to sneak that in. But, Shannon, you know best. (laughs) But first, Saturday night. Saturday night, 9 o'clock, we'll be live. Yeah, we'll be live on Saturday night. So that'll be great. Shannon Bream, best of luck Sunday. Stay warm. All right, one 866 When we come back, I'll take your calls. Also, a quick reminder, you can listen to this show every day. Plus, watch or listen on the Fox News app. Uh, you can see and hear the show live. Just click on watch on the Fox News app. Plus, get the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest-growing talk show in America. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Is Chris Christie no labels material? I think he might well be. We have people who are active in no labels who are close to and have been supportive of Governor Christie in his presidential bid. I want to talk to him. I I know him. I like him. Uh, If I may use the phrase I just heard in the lead-in to your program, uh, Chris Christie is refreshingly independent, and that's the kind of candidate No Labels is looking for. Oh, he'll be confident. He'll be strong on stage. Remember, I remember when Ross Perot got on stage. He changed the dynamic uh, between Bush and Clinton, and Clinton loved it. Uh, he, he definitely used the break, and Bill uh, George Bush didn't know what the hell you know what to make of him. Plus, he was leaning conservative. If Joe Manchin and Chris Christie get on there. If they do qualify in the states and have a certain threshold with the uh, with the debate committee um, and, and saying that Joe Biden's actually going to debate because if I'm Trump, I don't go on with no labels. But if I have to go on with no labels or with Biden, I go on. And uh, they know the issues. Joe Manchin, Joe Manchin's going to do it. If it is going to he basically said uh, to me, if it is going to be Biden and it's going to be Trump, we'll say I'm in. But, you know, he's got to get on the ballot. It's got to be uh, plausible. He's got to have a shot at winning. That's what he thought. That's what he says. 
Uh, overall, though, uh, Joe Lieberman would like to have Chris Christie, but Chris Christie would be crazy to go no labels. Why? Guy's a young guy. He does not want it to be the end of his political career. He wants it to be a pause. And if Nikki Haley gets in, uh, I think that, you know, if he can mend fences, he'd probably be in that cabinet somewhere, somehow. If you leave your party at 55 years old, where do you go? I mean, once you're in no labels, it's hard enough winning back conservative votes. But where do you go? So, especially at that hot mic moment. Overall, uh, the bigger story to me is um, is uh, Trump and, and why he's resonating. And to me, it's because you got you actually, for the first time in my lifetime, you actually can compare what both were like as president recently. And people are saying, almost everybody was saying, it was, Trump was a better president. Cut 21. Most elections are about the future, but 2024 stands a good chance about being about the recent past, which is voters look back at the Trump years before COVID and they saw or see an era of peace and prosperity, relatively uh, stable world order. They're looking at the Biden year years and they're seeing high prices, rising cost of living and a growing world disorder that stretches from America's withdrawal from Afghanistan to Ukraine to Israel, now to the Red Sea. Voters might want to return to the Trump years. That's interesting. And by the way, on the Hunter thing, uh, this is moving. Abby Lowell has informed uh, the congressional committee that if they do, if they resubmit the request to have him go and testify, he will. He said that what they what they sent him on before Congress was fully in session, uh, this is legalese, was it was not a legal document. If you do it the right way, that they'll go either uh, publicly or privately and will testify. So that does change things. And I'll talk a little bit more about Hunter with Bill Hammer in just a moment because uh, this guy's in trouble. I mean, crack or not, you got to pay your taxes. Uh, crack or not, you should register as a foreign agent. Uh, crack and hookers are not, or not, you are on the record making all this money. The bigger question is, as Jim Jordan brought up, and you'll hear from him, up until 2015, up until 2015, he made a ton of money. But now that we're in 2024... It expired. He never has to pay taxes on that stuff now. It's only the new stuff that we know about. And I sense that tax bill is going to grow past $1.4 million. Brian Kilmeade Show, so glad you're here. so busy he'll make your head spin it's brian kilmeade not the tactic i would have used you you just you don't get as a witness particularly as the son of the president of the united states the right to tell a congressional committee how to conduct an investigation and how you're going to comply with a subpoena if a congressional committee says we want to do a deposition before a public hearing that's what you do you don't get to say no i want to i will comply with subpoena only if you do it in my way You don't get to choose that when Congress issues you a subpoena. You can't say, I'm not going to comply with subpoena because I think you're motivated on partisan, bipartisan investigation or partisan intent. It's just not how the system works. Julian Epstein, when we were in Washington, D.C., he was kind enough to be on, on, come in on camera. So they got these great facilities there. So as Julian Epstein's walking in, so comes Hunter, Hunter Biden, uh, and just shocked everyone. Bill Hemmer was on the air with 
Dana Prino at the time. You guys seem to just love it, like the drama and the challenge. Of Brian, good to the see you. Uh, top of the morning to you. It was like he jumped out of a birthday cake or right. something. Right. You're like, oh, my, here we hey, go. They were at our ear. They said, guys, Hunter Biden's on Capitol Hill. We must go there now. And you weren't going to cover it, right? Well, were we you just going to cover sound uh, bites? We were just going to listen and yeah. see what develops, and we didn't expect that development. And the one thing I had is they have this grid. I don't know if you've been to the Tony Snow radio studios in D.C. They got a grid, beautiful grid of maybe six flat screens. It went from zero hunter, uh-huh. six in a row. And I thought yeah. to myself, I don't care what happens here. I'm not quite sure what's going to happen. But this cannot make the White House happy. Because all of a Probably. sudden we're covering Hunter. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how his dad felt. I, I know how Jill Biden felt. No, no, I'm talking about um, do we want this to go away politically? I understand. I, you know, Nita Dunn, she's working at the White House, too, and she worked on Obama's campaign a couple times. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, she was probably like, come on, come on, lower the temperature on this. But uh, my, my project, my prediction, rather, this going, it, it, was, it was good theater. It was good TV. It's not going anywhere. Even if the House Republicans refer him to the Justice Department, they're just going to run out the clock. Yeah. Nothing will happen to Hunter Biden as a result of what House Republicans do. But um, you knew you had the big day of the tax evasions the next day in Los Angeles. He showed up with his um, his film producer. You know, the Kevin Morris guy is the guy who paid off his tax bill, and he's also helping produce the documentary on Hunter Biden. Right. So if you're trying to rehab Hunter Biden's image, what's going to happen? Well, we're going to see a... 60-minute documentary dropped on Netflix sometime in the fall. Right. That, and, I mean, that, that's that's the only logic that serves you. And now he's on it, and this will be on it. So this just came across. You probably know it. Excuse me if you did, but I'll inform the audience officially. Hunter Biden's attorney, Abby Lowell, just told the House Oversight Committee that if a new subpoena is issued under the duly authorized impeachment inquiry, Hunter will comply mm. for the hearing. He says uh, he said Lowell penned a letter to the committee on Friday saying the initial subpoenas were legally invalid and they were issued before the full House of Representatives voted to formalize the impeachment. Quote, if you issue a new one now that there's duly authorized impeachment inquiry, Biden will comply for a hearing or deposition. We will accept such a subpoena on Mr. Biden's behalf. That's You're, happening right now. Just now. Brooke okay. Singerman well, um, I mean, my my hot take on that is uh, this did not go the way they wanted in hindsight. And therefore, they must bend the knee to House Republicans behind closed doors. He's not going to get a hearing. That's not going to happen. The way depositions based on subpoenas run in Washington is that you go behind closed doors. The attorneys for the House members, they get a chance to ask all their questions. There will be a transcript between Republicans and Democrats. They'll work from that information toward a public hearing, and they will base their questions during the public hearing based on what they find out behind closed doors. And then they'll find out where they go from here. You know, I saw James Comer over the weekend. I did uh, something for Heritage that spoke about the book. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and James Comer was there speaking before me. And just to talk to him off camera, uh, we, he just went over to me, just casually just said, if you think about all we've been able to accomplish over the last year and a half, the stuff that we've been able to expose, thanks mostly to the whistleblowers who came forward mm-hmm. to, to help Tony Bobolinsky, who was the original whistleblower. Yeah, and then Gary Shapley yeah. and then and that's his the, buddy. Yeah. Yes, and then uh, the attorney and... Uh, things that have come forward and what they were able to do smartly go through the banks, don't wait for the testimony. So they got some answers and some leverage on people. They've really done a lot. And that's the whole thing. You're not going to get an impeachment. I don't want if they if they if they cave and do impeachment, an impeachment of of Joe Biden ain't going to happen. Right. But all they want all they think they should do with the inquiry should stop. 
and they when they when they're done they should stop. Let's say over the summer they feel like they're they're done. Announce what you got because all people want, I think, is voters to see who they're voting for and what they're up to. Yeah. Are you comfortable with the vice president and this civilian lying to you publicly and saying I had nothing to do with my son's overseas business dealings? When now you know, according to Hunter, he was sitting next to him. Mm-hmm. Now you know, according to uh, according to the whistleblowers, he was. Uh, they were prevented from pursuing certain things, anything to do with the dad. And now you know that he was uh, in a one-on-one business movement, uh, meeting in the restaurant and then parachuted in on speakerphone on many others. Yeah. So you know all this. You should know how comfortable someone is lying to you when he said I had nothing to do with so, my other son's So my, my take on that, Brian, is that um, this is part of the dirty political process. Because they're going to try and beat up Donald Trump as much as they can in and out you of think? every court, <laughs> in and out of every courtroom. We'll see how many convictions happen between now and November. And House Republicans are going to try and do it to the Bidens as well. But I mean, will there be an impeachment? I'm. We, we I just, hope not. We just said no. But now, but what happens if you get a, a, what, what, hap- gun? what happens what if, if something? The yeah, gun? what happens then? What if, what if you get right, someone walking over that it, said, yeah, it, yeah. It would have to be so ironclad with a two or three seat majority in the House. And I'm not saying it's impossible, but you would need something that was shot out of the blue to convince a bunch of moderates that this is the direction we want to go. I feel that when Trump was in office, House Democrats were all in. It seems like from pretty close to the beginning. I don't know any Democrat that was out. Um, right. But you've got Republicans who are, you know, they're reluctant and if there is another page in this that's turns that's shown to them, maybe they all turn, or maybe that is just for Republicans anyway, wishful thinking during election year. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what Hunter's going to do because he does have to pay his taxes. I'm pretty sure you and I have to too. It's very interesting the way he's doing these business deals. Millions of dollars are, uh, are passing around, and no one ever pays taxes. Yeah. It's a fascinating uh, thing in America yeah. sometimes. Um, well, I want to uh, pivot, if I can, to By Georgia. The way, millions of dollars in yeah. taxes. Right now it's 1.4, yeah. but it's going to yeah. be higher. It was nuts, okay? So Georgia. Uh, let's go talk about Georgia. So to give people the quick course on it, it looks like um, Fannie Willis has having a, a, is alleged to have a relationship with a special prosecutor. Upon further review, they looked at the special prosecutor. I wouldn't know this offhand. You used to live there, right, mm-hmm. uh, with CNN? Yes. So I wouldn't know this offhand, but evidently he's, he's a suburban attorney known mostly for handling car accidents. Mm. All right. So he is picked out of nowhere, and he's leading this charge. And they're using uh, – he's paid over $650,000, some say over a million dollars when you look at his invoices. And together they've vacationed, and now he's filing for divorce. People look at that and make their own ethical decisions. But I think what there is the problem is that he billed for two sessions to the White House, meeting with White House counsel, which to me shows obviously there's a collaboration there. Mm-hmm. And for those people who say Joe Biden has nothing to do with the court cases and and uh, the legal problems of Joe, Donald Trump, they no longer can say that. Yeah, uh, you had to go a long way to explain that. And I'm not saying anything you said is wrong. However, for voters to, like, take that in and consume it, it's going to take them time to digest all that. I think Republicans right now, are they, they pretty much have their minds made up. It's Trump. I, you I, think it's I, Trump. I think, yeah, I think Democrats are like, wait a minute, don't, don't try and bloody up our guy. I think the real question in all this is how do – how does this come down for independence? You know, they, do, do they think one guy's really that dirty? And if so, they won't vote for him. Or will their attention go to issues? 
And there are plenty of issues out there. You see, you saw that town hall the other night with Trump. Yeah. Remember, he took the question about chaos. You know, th- this is the difference, Brian, between how Democrats view chaos and how Republicans view chaos. Democrats see mean tweets and court cases all over America. Republicans are like, no, but what about the border and inflation and the Middle East and the war in Ukraine? And that's that was Trump's message the other night. I think if he were to come back to that consistently and with discipline, he might be pretty effective among independent. And I'm going to I'll build on that. He came out and said, I don't have time for retribution. I'm only looking forward. How- that, that, that was another good line, too. I won't have time for it. And then he said something similar to the effect of success will be my retribution. 2020 is over, he said yesterday. Think about that. These are Susan Wiles, who's running his campaign, and evidently, by all accounts, unbelievably organized, brilliant. Doesn't You're take saying 2020 is over. She, no, Trump said it. Where did he say that? Um, just came across. He said um, 2020's in the past. Okay, so that was after the court appearance yesterday, right? Yeah. When he came out at 40 Wall Street? Yep. The building that he has a stake in in downtown New York? And when that press conference? Did you find it? That's a no? Um, I don't know. I don't know if I could play it. I don't think Try I could play it. Okay. Um, so if that's his take, Brian, and again, if he's going to be consistent on that, right. he has turned the page. And I would suggest, though, that on Monday night in Iowa, if he does exceed 50%, he's going to make a speech, and every network's going to carry it. And if he delivers that same message that you're saying about 2020, it could go a long way in his campaign right now for 2020. I think it's going to be fascinating. Uh, he did come out and say it. I just got to find it. I will do it in the break. Okay. But I think that those two things seem so simple. See, like the, any other candidate, you, of course, just, just go say mm-hmm. it. It's a very simple line. It makes total sense. Yeah. But Trump would have to admit the election, the whole election mm-hmm. mess, too. And number one, he has said in the past, I will be your retribution. But now he's got to qualify it. Then he came out yeah. and said, I'm not going to be a dictator. I was making a, I was making a comment yeah. to Sean Hannity. So I watched the other channels. You flip around, of too, course, right? Yeah, of course. And they, mis- they made the most it of it. It was misquoted. The same thing about the line about peacefully <laughs> being cut out of the January 6th rally. That happened at noon that day. Now, that all to the side, okay? I want to tell you what's important about Monday night. There are two numbers to pay attention to. One is 50. The other is 20. If Trump gets over 50%, it's a huge headline. If he gets under 50% and Haley or DeSantis exceed 20%, the media will run to them for the next eight days. Those are the only two numbers I think you need to think about on Monday night. So they need to think it's a possibility. No, no Republican has ever exceeded 50% in the history of the Iowa caucus. And I'm going to tell you why I believe in retrospect, uh, in, re- in re- reflecting back. Like, why is Trump all of a sudden numbers going up? What has really changed so much? Number one, they overdid it on a minor point. They overdid it with the indictments. I think people see it unfair. I watched the other day the analysis from Ari Mel, not Ari Melber. But another one of their legal analysts on CNN come out and say, you can't say that Letitia James is not being political. And you, he froze the whole panel. He said, she yeah. ran on this. No, there's been no plaintiff. You can't yeah. say I, this. I saw that trial. on CNN right. from the legal analyst who right. did that. Yeah, it was Significant. A, it was a drop the mic moment. It, it, it's pretty amazing. People go, yeah, I don't like Trump. I'm never going to vote for a million years. But this is, this is way out of control. Yeah. They overdid it. Number two, um, there's three of them. Number two, the full Hitler speech. Give the full Hitler speech in January. You're gonna, you gave me your fastball, your right cross in January. By the time it gets to May, if you keep giving that same speech, which you can't get any more, uh, you can't get any more indicting. 
If you give that speech in May, I'm going to be numb to it. By, well, by the, I, I think a lot of Democrats are making that same point. Continue to point. What are you three. doing? And yeah. then uh, and the third is. January 6th. Terrible. Absolutely. Don't ever tell me it's uh, they're hostages. Absolutely not. Don't ever tell me it was not that big a deal. It was a huge deal. When I see people hitting cops with bike racks, it's a huge deal. When you have Congressman uh, Gonzalez say, I, I was in Iraq. Especially, I, especially given the location. Michael Waltz had to break off the leg of a chair and told women to get in his office. Do you really think that he's do that just be to be sensational with Green Beret? Don't think so. But a lot of people were just walking through the Capitol. A lot of people got uh, wrongly accused, I believe, uh, accused of being up to no good as opposed to just being there. Some people were overcharged. You could do it, make those arguments. But you're living off January 6th. You're living off those other two things. And then for the first time in our lifetime, we actually have two modern terms to compare. We never had this before. Mm-hmm. We don't have a candidate and an yeah. incumbent. We really have two incumbents and say, I am going to submit a report card. Can you yeah. please submit yours? Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. <clears throat> We've never had that contrast. Right? Well, with and, Cleveland, and, and we I'm, weren't around. <laughs> and did we? With uh, Cleveland? Uh, he came back. I don't know okay. how he uh, came well, back. Uh, it makes me curious. We, we will dive into the history books and see what the platforms were for both right. based on their records. It's a great point. Um, if Trump has the discipline to keep expressing it, he might have success next November. Uh, he does have a different team. Uh, they, they are well-respected. Uh, from politi- even the other side, politi- <laughs> correct. From politicos across the country, we'll see whether they make a difference, right? And see if he listens. If he's like so impressed with the machine that's set up, he goes, "I might as well just." Can you just do this little thing? We'll do the rest. Okay, Bill Hemmer's here for a few more minutes. I'm going to talk a little sports when we get back. Brian Kilmeade Show. Remember to check out Brian's show, One Nation, Saturdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. If you already have plans, set up that DVR and watch when you get home. That's One Nation, Saturdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. Be there. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Due to various uncertainties surrounding my position as it relates to the team's new ownership, um, I've decided to resign as the head coach of the New York Jets. Hopefully this this press conference will go a little better than the last one I had. (laughs) This is a career highlight for me. It's uh, a tremendous opportunity. I'm thrilled to be here and thrilled to be a part of the Patriots organization. I, I don't know if I can adequately put it into words, but I'm, I'm very happy. I'm so appreciative of the fans for all the support they've given me, my family, uh, and this football team. I'll always be a Patriot. I look forward to coming back here, uh, but at this time, we're going we're gonna to move on, and um, I look forward and excited for the future, uh, but always very, very appreciative of the opportunity here, the support here. And Bill Belichick officially out as Patriots coach, but he had the Jet job for a day. He resigned dramatically, went to the Patriots, who Robert Kraft said, come here. I never, I always was impressed with you when you were defensive coordinator under Bill Parcells. And then uh, six Super Bowls later, nine Super Bowl appearances, he leaves, as many people think, the most successful coach ever, although he has more losses than anybody else, too. Bill Hemmer here, rich sports background. Bill, your thoughts about yeah. the, the series of events that now has new head coach, 
uh, Gerard Mayo of the will be the new head coach of the Patriots. I, I remember seeing Mayo's name on the back of his jersey when they were playing in the Super Bowls. Good for him if that's the case. Uh, I also remember Bill Belichick not having a very good run in Cleveland. And he kind of got run out of town, too. He, I think he had one really good year, but all the others were kind of average or Ended below up back average. back with the Jets under Parcells. That, I, I don't remember this thing where he came to the Jets for a day. I don't, you I, don't? It escapes my memory. Here's what I think. Belichick was very gracious toward the media yesterday, which I thought was an interesting take. He's 71 years old. He likes the golf. I don't know what his future is, but he's only, what, 15 games away from the all-time wins record? I, if I were him, I'd want a little taste of that. But I, I, I don't know if he goes back to coaching. Let's see. Um, I thought at that press conference yesterday you had two of the three legs of what makes great chemistry right. in any organization, much less the New England Patriots and the NFL football team. The person they were missing was Tom Brady. I love the story on day one when Brady went up to Bob Kraft, introduced himself. Mr. Kraft, I'm Tom Brady. I just wanted you to know that you made the right decision. Six-round draft pick. Pretty good. Right. Mr. Kraft, you're the owner of this team. You chose me. I just want you to know that you made a good decision. And he was right. Wow. And then now they've got to come up with Dynasty, which is a uh, 10-part series about the homemaking, and now they've got to come up with a new end. I think Parcells coaches again. Atlanta evidently wants him bad. You mean Belichick. Belichick, right. Uh, Okay. I think he coaches again uh, in Atlanta, or I think the Chargers in California. All right. We'll see. Nice to be with you, Brian. Uh, Bill Hemmer will watch you in Iowa. Hope you get out. Hey, stay warm. Stay within yourself, everybody. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.